Paddington. Various Christmas songs. This is the list. The best intros are when we like lose it at a joke right before we start recording. So this is perfect. Like it's been the past like three consecutive yeah. episodes. <laughs> Welcome to off the list, baby. Welcome to off the list. <laughs> Here we got Ben and Adir. We're both losing our fucking minds, but it's oh, all wait. good because we are listening to the best content, watching the best content, otherwise known as albums and movies. Nadira, she supplies movies i'm ben i supply the music and this week it's christmas oh my goodness so with that in mind we have a little bit of a holiday special with a very delightful movie and then really the special comes in with the songs where we're just gonna vibe and talk about we each have six christmas songs prepared that we both really like i'm we're both really curious if we have any that match up because we haven't told each other the six that we have yes but because that's a little bit loose, we want to start the episode a little bit more structure. We're going to go into Paddington first. So, Nadir, would you like to tell us about Paddington, how it came to you? Honestly, I actually don't know any of, like, the history of Paddington or, like, anything like that. So, if you could start with some of that, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, and I don't know that there's that much history that's not amorphous in some sort of way. So, Paddington is a film that was released in 2014. It's an animated film. It was directed and written by Paul King, who's directing the new Wonka film starring your boy Timothy Chalamet. So, I'm mm. really interested to see how that turns out based on what I know of Paddington, which is really funny comparing those two things. Um, mm-hmm. Based on story by Hamish McCall, but it's actually like really adapted from children's stories slash books, but more so just stories. I think they might have been, you know, quick television spots or radio spots in Britain, um, but children's stories of Paddington Bear, which was a character created by Michael Bond. So Paddington Bear has been a familiar character to people, particularly British people and British children for like decades now, I think. I should have looked up when Paddington Bear first came into sort of cultural recognition or like entered the world as a beloved children's character it but, feels like a character that might not have like a defined year yeah and I, I and i'm not sure that it necessarily does because he does definitely doesn't have a defined form you know like there isn't like a oh it's the paddington bear books or the paddington bear tv special or the paddington bear like he just kind of exists as mm-hmm. this lovely character that british children know and love um so people are familiar with paddington the bear but it hasn't been turned into a sort of global phenomenon to the point that it is now before this 2014 film. So this 2014 film um, stars Ben Wishaw, who voices Paddington. It also stars Sally Hawkins, Hugh Bonneville, Nicole Kidman, and a whole bunch more. It was produced by David Heyman, which is the reason why almost everyone from, I mean, all British films are like this anyway, but almost everyone from Harry Potter shows up in it because <laughs> David Hayman produced all of the Harry Potter I films. I was wondering. I was <laughs> yeah. like, I was like, why is Professor Slughorn giving advice right now? Yeah, and um, Molly Weasley was the grandmother, Mrs. Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, who else was in it? The voices of Paddington's aunt and uncle are Dumbledore and Umbridge. Um, there's just like oh, a lot. Wow. Yeah, and Dumbledore, Michael Gambon's voice, I can always pinpoint right away. Like, I'm just like, oh, that's Michael Gambon. But I didn't actually realized that that was um Ismelda Staunton's voice before I looked it up and I was like oh that makes a lot of sense like it was Mm. familiar but I wasn't sure um but yeah so there's a bunch of them in this film and then in Paddington 2 there's even more like Harry Potter's greatest hits of actors and actresses that show up in that one as well so David Heyman is the likely reason why he produced the film Paddington is a children's film that much is true but it is surprisingly like 
critically acclaimed and renowned. You know, it, it is for a children's film. It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 77% on Metacritic, which is some level of unheard of. Didn't it have a 100 for so a long So that's Paddington time? 2. Oh, Paddington That's Paddington 2. 2. Okay. And I'm going to get into that a little bit because I wanted to show you Paddington 2, but you can't watch Paddington 2 without watching yeah, Paddington 1. Yeah. And the first Paddington is just so lovely, or at least I think so. We'll get to it. Um, so I was just like, let's just start with this one. But there was a big controversy, um, not controversy, like it was fun, you know, jokes, mm-hmm. whatever, but big quote unquote controversy that happened earlier this year. And it turns out that that's the second controversy that Paddington 2 is a part of. So in January <laughs> of 2018, Paddington 2 was considered the most reviewed film ever to remain at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it had 164 positive reviews, keeping it at 100%. It had beat out Toy Story 2 and a whole bunch of other ones. But then Lady Bird came in and kind of swept it, you know, with the most positive reviewed film ever until I think at Lady Bird's like 196th review, it had a finally got a negative review. And so then I don't know who holds the title now, but it's kind of been like, moved on from time to time. So that was the first time people were like, oh my God, Paddington 2 is beating everyone in Rotten Tomatoes. The second time was this year, earlier this year, Citizen Kane, known as the best film of all time, like widely revered as Mm -hmm. the best cinematic experience in film of all time. The only one that ever even touches it is The Godfather. And even people are like, Citizen Kane is better than The Godfather, whatever, whatever. It, you know, had a score of 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was knocked down to a 99% after a negative review from 80 years ago was found and then logged into the system. (laughs) So when it was knocked down to a 99%, Paddington 2 remained at 100%. That's incredible. And was (laughs) technically on Rotten Tomatoes with the amount of reviews and its score was considered the best film of all time, still having held that score of 100%. But then in May of this year, someone ruined all the fun and there was a a negative review from 2017 that was logged into the system, dropping Paddington's score also down to 99%. And then, you know, they kind of stayed you know where they were originally (laughs) see i i kind of knew about all of this tangentially and the funny thing is this is the most i knew about paddington and just from this i was like well the movies must be good i hope i get to watch them at some point and then you were like you're watching paddington and i was like finally i'll get it i'll get what's going on here yeah so paddington like i was saying is extremely well reviewed and um acclaimed especially considering it's a children's film like i i don't know how I can adequately explain to people that children's films just do not get recognized by critics and during awards season. Like it just, it does not happen. I mean, it happens occasionally, but the film has to be extraordinary, which in my opinion, spoiler alert, this film is, but it really like, and even then it might be a young adult film like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you know, which is Mm -hmm. actually about a teen and not a for kid kids, but this film being for children, children, getting all of this, you know, good um, publicity and these positive reviews is like very unheard of. It was nominated for two BAFTAs, one being best film and the other one being best adapted screenplay. So Paddington is like, it's like, you know, when they're like, talk your shit, like Paddington was talking its shit come Mm. award season. (laughs) Um, It was really, it was like shutting these bitches down. You know, it was doing everything that it came to do with That all being said, we know kind of how I feel about Paddington before we get... Oh, I guess I should explain what it's about. (laughs) I guess I should do that. I mean, it's about a bear. It's about an anthropomorphic bear that talks. But basically the whole point or plot of Paddington, the first one, is Paddington is this special species of bear that can speak to humans from darkest Peru, which is just darkest Peru. Um, <laughs> Paddington, like famously in a red hat and blue coat, um, it's finds his way to London where he meets the Brown family and they find him at Paddington Station. That's how he gets the name Paddington. And it's basically about him fulfilling his lifelong dream of moving to London and living in London, but also finding a family. Um, so it's about his sort of assimilation into human, the human world and human society, and also about 
his relationship with the Brown family, which is um, a mother, a father, I think a grandmother. They call her Mrs. Bird, but it, I think she's, she's a grandmother. A, she's like a housekeeper. Is vibe. she? Yeah, oh, okay. I, I wasn't sure. At least that's what I remember from it is that she's technically the housekeeper. But unless- then she had known them when they were like, for, like she kind of spoke about the father at least like she maybe, had known him for a long like, time so i wasn't yeah, sure yeah I, I i wasn't sure it's not um, i mean i'm sure it's made very clear at the beginning but it wasn't yeah that, but it wasn't that relevant yeah um and two children um like a a, a tween or teenage young teenage daughter and then a young boy so that's the brown family i forget all of their names but it's fine because it doesn't really matter that much um and it's about what they teach paddington and what paddington teaches them and family and love and belonging and all the lovely things um it's also which i love about it also about the love of marmalade which i think is just really funny and lovely because who doesn't love marmalade um but yeah so that's what paddington is about loosely ben what did you think of the film so i think that generally speaking children's movies i do really respect them but i have like a hard time getting past kind of the like cheesiness of the jokes that are specifically made for kids which i think is fine it's normal like i i shouldn't right like not made for me that's cool Yeah, yeah totally agree But this is one of the few children's movies where I'm like, wow, they, whoever like sat down and wrote out these jokes went so funny. funny. I, I was laughing at this movie more than some of the comedies we've watched so I was laughing out loud at this movie so many times. And the funniest thing is like, or the most impressive thing I should say is that this film is funny not only in like written jokes but in like visual jokes in like mm-hmm. slapstick comedy yeah for an animation and like animated jokes like the joke when they talk about the orphanage and they rename yes. the orphanage yes. to the uh, that's that's exactly that's exactly what i was going to bring up I, that it's was so my, funny yeah that like and that is just like that's like their comedy in this movie in like a microscope or like in like a single example like it's it's very very quick clever but at the same time like accessible to all ages yes yes when paddington sees the sign that's like stand on the right and he ends up standing on one leg instead of moving over again Mm -hmm. hilarious like yeah and i'm like okay all these comedians complaining about how they can't do comedy (laughs) because everyone's so sensitive need to go and fucking watch paddington okay you need to go watch paddington because that shit is hilarious and it's so cute because you can tell that there are jokes that are made for young kids it's like oh the kids are gonna love when there's marmalade all over his face you know that's Mm -hmm. funny but then there are the jokes like the joke about the orphanage that's like for us and then there are jokes that are like subtext jokes about like immigration and insider trading and you're like no child (laughs) like this was made for me (laughs) this is made for an adult or when um they there's the sequence where the father has to dress up as oh my god the the, false arm yeah yeah the the false false arm arm (laughs) Mm -hmm. that sequence is so good it's so so good i i i really appreciated that and so i guess my like general thoughts on it is i think that it is probably one of the best children's movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I want to watch Paddington 2 now. I want to oh, watch... Oh, Paddington 2 is like, the shit. Paddington yeah, like, 2 I want to watch like the even sequel. Better. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean. Like, I... That is... I feel like that comment seems simple, but, like, should hold weight with everyone. Like, I would watch this again, and I now want to watch the sequel. Like, that is how good this children's movie is. And it makes yeah. you feel just really happy. Like, if you just want to put something on and just feel happy for an hour and a half like this is it this is so good and I want to talk a little bit about what makes that so within this film because I think one of the best things about this film is yeah it's creative and it's you know charming and magical and whimsical but it's still like services I don't know it still feels like you're reading a book to a kid you know like Mm -hmm. and it's still and it still feels like Christmas even though it's not explicitly Christmas and I it achieves all of these things where it feels like but actually isn't you know feels like x but actually isn't x by utilizing some things just to like the best amount or like in the perfect way so one of the things that is really really hard to understate how important it is 
it is for this film and how well it's working for this film are both the color grading and the composition. So, and the props. Number one, the color grading. So a lot of people don't realize that there isn't just lighting at play when you watch a film. There's also color grading. So when you see a film and it's like cold and blue and gray and a little dark, it actually probably looked really normal the day they shot it. It's just mm-hmm. they went into the studio and they put some color grading on it. And now you feel like you're in a really cold, dark dungeon or jail cell or maybe one of the characters is ill. So everything's like bluey green, you know. And I think actually Harry Potter is a really great example. Of I was this. just thinking about um, how in the movies it gets darker and darker as yes. it goes. But also specifically, um, is it, my knowledge is failing me because I have so many things in my mind right now, but whatever film where he's like sick, where, um, Voldemort is like invading his mind. Oh, that's, that's the fifth one. Yeah. That's the fifth one. Um, so you'll notice that that film isn't just dark. It's like blue. Like he looks ill. Like the lighting of everything is blue and blue does not make you look cute. You know, blue, if you're, especially if you're paler, it makes you look ill. So, so, you know, there's a lot of that going on. But anyway, that was a long way of digressing, but saying that color grading helps bring out or put colors into a film that may not have already been there, but it usually just helps make certain colors stronger. So this film is so warm. It is so warm. The colors are vibrant. They are like Mm. the red of his hat, the blue of his coat, the colors that the mom wears, because, you know, she's like eccentric and creative. The colors of every aspect of their house, the props, the everything, the vision of London that they paint, even the underground, the signs for the underground. Yeah. Everything, it feels like Christmas. They make it feel like Christmas. It feels like a children's book, like the illustrations of a children's book, because they make those colors so like vivid and beautiful. And it really helps like paint this picture of like this loving family and this like really heartwarming story. The composition, and you know, we can also talk about the angle since you said it, but composition is more so about how things fill a shot and how a shot Mm -hmm. is framed specifically so like an angle would be like oh you're looking at this from above below canted which i love the way they use canted angles in this film yeah there's a ton of them there's a ton of them and they're always used so expertly but composition is like what's actually within the frame and how it's placed so if you think about like a a theater like a stage play think about like how it's staged you know who's Mm. sitting who's standing who's behind who's in front like all of that is composition but that also includes like where's the window where's the prop who, who's talking on the phone? How big is the bathtub? You know, like all all those types of things. And the props department and the way they compose these shots is so whimsical and so much fun. Like there's always so many little trinkets and like hidden Easter eggs and all of these wonderful things in this film. Like even like whatever prop master had to be in charge of that house mm-hmm. is incredible. Like yeah. that house is incredible. It's full of all of these like knickknacks and trinkets and they paint such an important and really like immediate picture of who every member of the family is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's done so well. And again, it's just like, you want to live in that house, even though like, even with the teenager who's like, doesn't want to talk to anyone and she's like getting uh, to that she's, stage of she's, life she's, she's like, learning chinese so that she can run away and start yes, her own business <laughs> yes and she's like even her room is incredible and you would expect it to be like i don't know standoffish or whatever but like it, it's so well done and i don't know it's just like all of those things working together are so wonderful and then i will say this one thing and i won't shut up because i have more things to say but then you can talk but yes to talk about like the angles and just the creativity of the film. Mm. What really sells this for me is that it's a movie that doesn't phone it in. Like they're not like, Oh, because this is for kids. We don't have to get creative. Like we don't have to try and act like we're making a film film. Like they really go like full steam ahead with this movie. They use multiple different types of camera angles, specifically canted angles. And my favorite canted angle is the first time you meet the grumpy neighbor. Mm -hmm. That is my favorite canted angle because that, is like traditionally what a canted angle is used for is to like show you that something's awry, something's amiss. And it's just like, it also just ends up being like whimsical and hilarious. Um, But yeah, they use different angles. They use, um, they change like the aspect ratios and the film grain. They use a mixture of practical and like CGI effects. Like Mm -hmm. they really 
do this movie as if they're like making a serious like cinematic Oscar bait drama. That's how they're approaching the techniques behind creating this film. And it's so important because kids also deserve to have like quality films, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and adults do because they're the ones who have to take them or watch them with them. So it's like, why not just actually make these movies like you have a vision, like you're a filmmaker, you know. Instead of watching um, Despicable so Me through or Minions Revenge thirteen. Which is so dumb because Despicable Me One is good. That the, movie the is rest, good. The rest annoy me because mm-hmm. like why? <laughs> why? Like it's even it's using techniques that were used in Birdman. <laughs> Michael Keaton. Like you see what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's it's not afraid to like be a film, 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 film. And I love that because this film is Better than There Will Be Blood. I said it. Oh, shit. <laughs> I said it. I love Paddington. But yeah, no, I really, I'm so glad that I saw this movie. And now I feel like, I feel like it's so easy for me to like pull movies out of my back pocket when people are like, yeah, I want like something artsy and like, like that'll make me think. But when someone has texted me and is like, Hey, like do you have any recommendations for just like a fun movie? I feel like I'm a bad person with that. Cause like, I don't mm. watch a lot of fun movies that I'm like, Oh, you should recommend. But now, so they feel like precious gems to me. And this feels like the most preciousest of all the gems. Like it was just so good. Now I, to everyone when they're like, do you want something to make you feel warm and fuzzy? I'll just be like, I, have the bear for you so i think it's time to move on to our next segment which is as we explained last episode ben and i wanted to do a sort of holiday maybe christmas album holiday album just in general but we realized that no holiday albums are really great in their entirety and they're full of a lot of the similar songs that we've heard over and over again so instead what we decided to do is we decided to just share some of our favorite holiday songs with each other i will say as a primer i have six songs and um the reason i picked six was because i admittedly don't love christmas music i'm a little bit jaded to the general concept and i think this is the reason why is because i feel like most artists play it really safe and campy with most christmas music which is cool you know it's fine that people like to you know celebrate the holiday and have it be easy listening but I like my music to kind of play around and challenge a little bit more. So I've always had a hard time really getting into Christmas music, but there are a ton that I really like. And I even included one that I think is maybe the worst song ever. Um, Not as one I like, but as one I just need to highlight is maybe it is the worst song ever. And we'll get to that one at the end as a special little treat. I swear to God, if you have Paul McCartney on this list, I'm hanging up this call right now. He does not deserve. He, he, (laughs) oh no. I mean, okay. Well, just let's oh, no. just let, let's just let's just get through because he oh no he's he's all the way at the end, which kind of oh, no. gives it away. But okay, I would also like to preface this by saying that I'm someone who I kind of feel the same way about Christmas music, but less because it's campy or whatever. Like I love when people lean into camp. If the whole world was camp, I'd be cool with it. Like if everything was camp all the time, then that would be fine with me. But I just don't like when songs are the same thing over and over again. I'm not Mm -hmm. someone who's like the biggest fan of like creative repetition unless it's intentional, intentional. Um, But when it's just like, this is a classic song and I have a beautiful voice, so I'm going to sing it, but not like I'm going to alter it in some sort of way that that's not really like my favorite thing. So I have this whole playlist called, yes, they know it's fucking Christmas. (laughs) Um, where I just have all of my favorite Christmas songs. And I think only like five of the however many on there, which might be like 40 or something, are even classic. Like the rest of them are other. And I'm going to hold off on saying which other because I will definitely mention some of them. But um, yeah, so why don't you start? I think that this one is definitely, (laughs) definitely could be played in the halls of like any jc pennies um mm-hmm. when you're there which is just otis redding's white christmas uh-huh. i think this is the only classic like super classic christmas song yeah. that i really enjoy this version right. 
am familiar with that song. I do really enjoy that version of that song. Um, it's not, I would say like my, I have my most favorite, particularly my honorable mentions, my most favorite, mm-hmm. just like classic Christmas songs. I mean, I agree in that they're all by black people, but like, <laughs> um, but yeah. it's, that's not one of them, but that one is still a great song. I don't just, get me wrong. I, I just think the moment where he goes like, may your days, may your day. I think it's so sweet. And it like really gets at that kind of, if I'm going for that, like very core Christmas, like feeling like I'm being held and like getting a present like that, yeah. that right there is the like microcosm of it to me for Christmas music is that one song right there. Yeah. Good. Great. First, great first choice. Um, so far, no overlaps. Um, so my first song is actually not technically a Christmas song. I think it's technically a new Year's song and it is on, I mean, it happens to be on one of my favorite Christmas albums. And for me, this is the only version of this song that I even really enjoy. And I do thoroughly enjoy it and it is Auld Lang Syne by Boney M and only Boney M because to me I've never heard this Boney M is like the kings and queens of Christmas music I think it's a really common album to like and um specifically like band to like if you're from the Caribbean which is probably why everyone I know in my family is into it and like other people I meet who are also Caribbean in some sense of the word know of it but I don't know they have this song that my grandfather used to sing like to me but he also just my grandfather was the putterer of the family so he used to putter (laughs) around the house and he used to sing under his breath while he would putter around the house famously a music buff or music nerd or super into music famously a lover of jazz and of all things but the most campy I've ever seen him be and the most like interactive with me he's ever been regarding music is with Boney M and they have this song um called brown girl in the ring and there's this part of the song where it's like and she's sweet like a sugar plum 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 and he used to (laughs) always like play with me on that part so my history with Boney M is like very personal but I also just think that they make the best fucking Christmas music like like their holiday album slaps it slaps that is the only version of Auld Lang Syne that anyone needs to be paying attention to ever moving on to my second one this is the one that maybe I think is most likely to have crossover. From okay, what I have. my second one is also one that's maybe the most likely to have crossover. Yeah, and so I I'm excited. I think that this one is I I really like it for how me and my friends meme about it and how we okay. play around with it. Okay. And it's Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas Is oh, You." Okay, yeah, not on my list. Okay, not okay, on my okay. list, <laughs> but. For a little bit of background, in our marching band in high school, we would play this song, like it around like the Christmas time. Even like we would be at like events and we just like play it. Or even sometimes we would convince the director to play it in the middle of like September if we were really feeling it. And this song just is kind of like an infectious fun. And if you let it take over you have like an amazing three minutes. And I think that that's what I appreciate about it is that Mariah Carey wasn't like trying to just like fall back on other songs. She was like, I'm just going to make an infectious song. And she did. It's just really fucking fun. And my friends and I, one year in particular, it was like we were hanging out two days before Christmas, put it on and looped it for, I'm not kidding, probably like 36 hours. Like it was... Mm. Oh God! It was. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we were like doing a challenge of how long could we listen to this song, and to be fair, like when we went to bed, we turned it really low. But <laughs> we we woke up to this song, and we were still like, it still bops. And I and the fact that I don't like desperately hate it after an event like that shows that it's got some staying power. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like you don't need to play it, but if you want to play it, you can. No, I don't need to play okay. this one. Everyone, okay. as soon as they said it, everyone here, everyone heard, but up, but up, but up. Like everyone yeah. knew. <laughs> My feelings about that song are that um, I'm tired of it, honestly. But I, I just think it's, I mean, you know, it's a great song, though. The first 18 years of my life, when I heard it incessantly every year at some point, were great. And I think I'm just at the boiling point now where I'd like to not hear it for like three consecutive years so I could love it again 
but it is a great song. And Mariah Carey did her absolute motherfucking thing on that track. Mm. Bitch is getting bags of money off of one track. Where they do that at? Yeah. Like her entire career on, is is buoyed by that one song. It is as it should be. Yeah. As she should, said, yeah. I'm working smart, not hard. You should try it. <laughs> like we stand. Nothing yes. against that song. I'm just a little I just need I just need a little break from it. Just a little, little break. I recommend a but, 36 hour listening session. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's why when you said that I was like, oh God, that sounds like my nightmare. But with that being said, here's my second song, which we still might have on the same list. And what really annoys me is like, so a song exploder for the song came out recently. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, now that an episode of song exploder has come out for the song and I had already picked it. Cause it's already one of my favorite Christmas songs from one of my favorite Christmas films of all time. I was like, Oh, Ben might remember the song exists and then put it on his list. Yeah. But so far it hasn't come up and it is, What's this from the Nightmare Before Christmas song by Danny Elfman? Uh, it's my next one. It's my next one. <laughs> There's the first crossover. I mean, no, I mean, I I was on mine before the song Splitter, so we were ruined before anyway. <laughs> it's, it's so that movie is so fantastic. It's so good, and I do just want to pay attention to Danny Elfman's line reading of Ghouls in the verse past the bridge. He says, mm-hmm. I forget what the actual line is, but it's like, oh, look, there's children sleeping. There's like, there's children still in bed, but look, there's nothing underneath. No ghouls. And the way oh, yeah. ghouls is That's like, right. the word ghouls is the reason it like explains everything you need to know about why the song is so amazing. It's, it's so like, I implore you to listen to it. But then when you hear him say no ghouls to go back and listen to that part 10 more times, because yeah. it is so good i mean it was it it was inevitable that i put something from that movie on that because it is it's like tied with the muppets christmas carols my favorite traditional christmas movie those are my two favorite those are the two best ones mm -hmm. the other ones don't need a muppets christmas a muppets anything realistically is just better but yes i agree i agree awesome well this pick is also a little bit cheeky but i do really I've realized just unironically like this song and it's Kanye West's Christmas in Harlem. Yeah. Do you know that song? I do. And what's funny is that it, okay. So this is, this isn't on my list list. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of scared to mention it. Cause what if it's on your, you can cut it out if it's on yours, but Mm -hmm. on my honorable mentions, which almost made it. Cause it is actually one of my favorite Christmas songs is Christmas in Hollis by Ron DMC. Oh yeah. That's really good. It's not a mine, but it is really good. And so every time I think about Christmas in Harlem, I think about Christmas in Hollis and I'm like, this is hilarious. The fact that these two songs are the way they are and that this exists, but yes, go ahead. There are so many hilarious lines in this song that just like, I think this was like the first Christmas song I listened to that I would like subverted the idea of like, I like, it was like a Christmas song, but it like wasn't one of the traditional ones I heard. And I heard it when I was like 14. So it like blew my mind naturally. But when I remember just being 14 and it was like, like, oh yeah, it's like, my only question is where my presence, she said, she got a gift for me. The info, the kids to see. I remember being like 14 being like, what's the gift? (laughs) (laughs) i love that so much and and as i've gotten older it's just like the the beat and the way the whole like song rings together yeah i just it holds like a very nostalgic place in my heart i really think that this is like i wish that this song was more played and got like more love and would be like plated it feels like a song that could be played at like a jc penny's and i don't understand why it isn't yeah, it's not one of my favorites personally, but I also don't dislike it. it. It kind of falls in that category of like, these are other Christmas songs that exist that are good. And if someone played them, I wouldn't change the like station. But, yeah. you know, not one that I'm going to like put on my list. But I definitely appreciate that we can talk about Kanye West in other terms that have nothing to do with things i don't want to talk about yeah (laughs) that's always good yeah when Um, i when i hear this song i just imagine him in a polo and not right like a little you imagine him unproblematic even though that is not the case like i i'm it's that video where he like is looking at a woman's ass in the polo and he's like smirking at the camera as he's doing it that's the kanye in my head as this song plays who hasn't done that if we're being honest Mm -hmm, exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, my next choice, and this for me will be number three, um, is one of my favorite Christmas songs that is actually a Christmas song, but isn't like a classic Christmas song, whereas I have songs on my list that are classic, but aren't maybe not actually Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is Christmas Rapping by The Waitresses. It's just oh, fun. That's that's on my alternative. Yep, yep. It, it's, it's a really good song. It's just fun. It's, it's just so a good. great song. Also, there's some there's something about girls speaking. Uh, this is a little bit of a yes. preview. It towards later, Miley. But girls like speaking in such like a monotone fucking voice. Yes. Like that feels so good for Christmas. I don't know what it is, yes. but it hits. It's also kind of hot. Oh, it's, like, it's very hot. It's the whole reason the like, Red Scare podcast cool. has any vibe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to it and you're like there's a lot of vocal fry here but they're hot i know they're hot <laughs> it's just cool as fuck bro. Yeah. like it's, it's just like like you know that song that's like i know what boys like mm-hmm. i know it's like that same vibe you know it's just like no this is hot because it's just cool like i imagine you donned in leather with your ripped stockings and your doc martens and like your chain smoking cigarettes which is not healthy kids don't smoke but damn <laughs> do you look good damn yep. do you look cool like fuck it up sis anyway that was christmas wrapping by the waitresses what is your next song so my next song is, and this is legitimately one of my favorite ones to play because it sounds so Christmassy, but the lyrics are so anti-Christmas. Yes. Um, it's Sufjan Stevens' That Was the Worst Christmas Ever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like some lyrics from this song, like it, it starts off, It. what I think is so interesting about it is it talks about kind of like the banal parts of Christmas. Like he talks about going outside, shoveling snow in the driveway, putting your Mm -hmm. shoes by the fire, like kind of the things that are very like functional to the holiday. And then it just said, it goes into these lyrics where he sings it in like only the way he can, where it's like, can you say what you want? Can say what you want to be? Can you be what you want? Can you be what you want to be? And talks about, you know, silent night, holy night, silent night, nothing feels right. Like the ways that I think, holiday times can have this really subtle and kind of like undercurrent of discontent that can follow and you can be surrounded by family but still have this feeling that something is like slightly off in the background Mm -hmm. i feel like this song so perfectly captures that feeling where it's like there's joy and there's happiness but like at the same time something feels weird like there's still some kind of emotional unrest i really I've never seen another song that just does it as well as this one. Perfectly said. I do also love that song. And you know what? I forgot that that song existed. So I'm really happy that you brought it to my attention because I'm not unfamiliar with it. Very, very much love that song. Also the title. it slips my mind. I mean, it's a great title. Titles that use exclamation points at the end of them. Power move. Power move. (laughs) Yes. Paging JPEG Mafia. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) My next Christmas song is one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. It's maybe not a Christmas song in the way that people say Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie, but because it doesn't feel like Christmas. It's very sad, but it is definitely a Christmas song. Oh, man. This... River by Joni Mitchell. Oh, God, man. That was That's a great pick. Be- yeah, I mean, thank you. It's one of the best songs ever made, ever written, ever performed. It, I mean, Blue by Joni is just like one of the best albums in existence. Mm -hmm. But Joni is one of my favorite artists of all time. And I came to this appreciation of her actually through James Blake because he did that cover of The Case of You. And I hadn't heard of Joni Mitchell until that song. And it wasn't until I was listening to it with my aunt. Shout out to my aunt Rachel. And Rachel was like, oh, like James Blake covered this from this artist named Joni Mitchell. And ever since then I've been obsessed with Joni Mitchell I think her ability to tell a story is like and I know that this comparison has been made just like by the artist herself but also just like by critics and everything is very much like like this the original SZA you know like like the, the way we feel when SZA tells a story which is like there's so much detail and yet so little words and yet the feeling is so maximized. And I think Joni is just like the, like the originator of that thing Mm -hmm. of just like feeling exactly what she's feeling 
like she paints an entire picture for you and it's one of the most heartbreaking songs but it also is like at its heart as you could tell from the very first verse definitely a christmas song Mm -hmm. and it's just one of my favorite songs of all time it is like I don't know. It's just like a magnum opus type shit. You know, it's just like, it's a hard to get better than river by Joni Mitchell. Yeah, no, I mean, that's an amazing, it's like one of those picks that like the second you hear like, Oh, that's definitely in my top five. I just, it just, there's so many songs yeah. that you kind of forget some of them sometimes, yeah, but that so one many. really is that song is, that song is so fucking good, man. Joni Mitchell really is the fucking goat. Ugh, she, I love that bitch so much. Joni, we fucking mm-hmm. love you, bitch. I mean, Joni, you girl, Joni has influenced like, I feel like it's just one of those things where you, when you know that like, you know, like two of my favorite like female singers working right now and like Claro and SZA are both like direct descendants of her and and then in like super different ways, but they completely are. And I feel like that is how, you know, an artist is truly influential is that when they breed so many different styles of things that are important to you later. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But yeah. So this one is a song that sometimes I say it and people are actually not familiar with it. So you might not know it, but you might. It's kind of like an off the beaten path song mm-hmm. um, a little bit. It's uh, I Don't Intend to Spend Christmas Without You by Margot um, Guron, I believe is how you say her last name. The song to me was like Lost in Oblivion. Yeah, and I think that that's how a lot of people feel with this song. They, I, I will say the funny story about this song is that I heard it and I originally hated it. I thought it was mm-hmm. like really like kind of like pitchy and annoying, and her voice is like really high the whole time. Um, so mm-hmm. it frustrated me. But then one time, I was driving through kind of a Christmas light show, and it came on, and I was instantly like, wow this is actually one of the best Christmas songs ever. It has so much character and quirk to it and yeah. is recorded in a way that feels really earnest. And also at the same time, I love a good song that can talk about like a really painful topic in a really like fun and chirpy way where on the f- surface you're just like, we had a fight. What right, of it? You're, you're you weren't fighting, even right. But you're then, like, at the, yeah. But at the same time, on the inside, you're like, <laughs> yeah. On the inside, you're crying because the lyrics are horribly. Yeah, sad. it's like I don't want to spend Christmas alone. Come back. And also, I like we've talked about how we love a good title, and just I don't intend saying yeah. like in saying intend like understanding that you can't control. You're just like I don't intend to spend Christmas without you. Like that is such like a sassy title like um i'm not intending on it but if you're being a little bitch then it won't happen i guess like definitely adding that one to my playlist great pick yeah i think that song is awesome and i think it is like such a fun deep cut christmas song yeah absolutely we love a good deep cut this is not necessarily a deep cut but maybe a deep cut when you think about Christmas songs. My next choice is Another Lonely Christmas by none other than Prince. Oh, that's my next one. Are you serious? Yep. yep. Oh my God, I that's thought you were joking. My, nope, that's my next one. Not even, not even joking. You, we have, we have, we have two, we have two matching songs. That is crazy. Man, I fucking love you. I'm just, I'm just mad that I beat you every. Yeah, every time it was like you literally. You didn't even get one over me. Like, yeah. Listen, you should have never told me to rearrange my list because this never would have happened. Oh, it's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> oh man, mm, I'm sorry. I hate to do it to him, but do it gotta. to me. We it's, gotta. It's so good. Honestly, it's like, for me, it's like Prince at his bet. Like, it's like the drama, the theatrics. Mm-hmm. It feels so big. And it's sad as fuck. Mm-hmm. But it's also like just it's so good. Like his voice to me has almost never sounded better. He's like pining, but it doesn't sound annoying. Not that not the prince has ever been annoying to me, but like the the nature of his pining isn't annoying and sometimes the way it is in like Purple Rain the film, yeah. even specifically. But it's like it's it's so earnest, but it's so grandiose. And it's it just like it like washes over you like a fucking tidal wave. It's it, and it strikes his like nothing it. nothing compares to you like yes. songwriting thing where he yes. he just manages to perfectly hit that word you said, the drama of it. It's so Yeah. He he very few people could walk a line that high and not fall off. But he yeah. was just one of those people who could do it and 
when he does it oh my fucking god just incredible yeah that is also like i said is on my list as well because wow how many backups do you have I can, have. I can pull up. I've got a whole okay, playlist. Okay, cool, 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 um, cool, but my, cool, cool. in my next, my, I mean, this is technically my last song anyway. Right, um, true. But, and it's definitely like the least Christmassy of all of them. Mm-hmm. But I, without fail, play it every Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it's a Christmas fucking miracle by Run the Jewels. Yes. Yes. That's on my, that's on my playlist. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is so good it is it is a lot of fun um no great choice i great choice i love that song it's also on my playlist it run the jewels is just like just so fucking good yeah just hard to even fathom how good they are um i mean i i've now essentially said eight songs because two of them were big right true 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 (laughs) i wanted to talk about this particular artist but anyway my last song for my main list is The Return by Chance the Rapper. Oh, I know this song. What I love about the song, besides the fact that, you know, it's back to like artsy fartsy rapping or whatever. And like the beat is super warm and like really does feel like Christmas. And like it's very contemplative. And it's one of the things that I really love the most about certain songs where it's actually just like a list, mm-hmm. <laughs> a three minute long list. Um, but it just like feels good and sounds good and still makes sense. And so you like rock with it, even though it's quite literally just a list. Um, is that this song, I should look up the year the song actually came out, but the song came out relatively recently and it reminds me of like, the the chance that we the chance that we wish we still had <laughs> yeah and the chance that we used to have yeah it was yeah. 2020 yeah mm-hmm. it's it, it just makes me really nostalgic for the days of like acid rap you know yeah. and, and it it really like goes to show like how talented chance the rapper really is when he like sits in his bag of like doing what he's best at mm-hmm. and it's so reminiscent to me of like the chance before what is it the big day is that the big day that is that is the worst album yeah it is so reminiscent to me of the chance that we had before the big day and i mean yeah just like i said like acid rap and 10 day like early days chance and like what better way to give people like the spirit of christmas and like being home with family and nostalgia than like your old self, you know, and the mm. self that you know that people long for. And it's, it's just like, it's so, it's like this perfect little microcosm to me that like, whenever I hear it, it just reminds me of like better times. And it reminds me of summer camp. And it reminds me of like sitting on the back of the bus. And it reminds me of like being at Christmas and think and like being nostalgic and like thinking back to all of those things. And what's so fascinating about it is that this was a song that was made almost two years ago but like a year ago now you know like it was released in 2020 and it's just like to me it's magic that something can feel like it's been with you its whole life even though it just sort of came to you and I absolutely fucking love this song and we can say whatever we want about Chance the Rapper and I have said it on record multiple times (laughs) but you know I was one of the first people that I know who was a fan of his And I think there are a lot of people I know who are like fans of him now or like, you know, at least were before the big day. And for me, it like it really reminds you of sort of like being on that precipice of like really appreciating the next big thing. And I just really love this song so much. Yeah. So that's my last song. Yeah. No, that's really great. And I mean, it is an amazing like weird return to form that just existed for this brief moment with him. Um, Yeah. And, you know, he I I'm not someone who thinks that he's like washed up because uh, he'll go on features and show that he's still there. Like, yeah, like, I agree. Like that idea, that song, Bad Idea with Corday. Yeah. Um, I think that is like so perfect. It's a really good Chance feature. And I my sister actually got me into Chance the Rapper and shout out him. And she was showing me all of his stuff. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was when Acid Rap was being dropped, but hadn't dropped yet. And she was playing mm-hmm. 10 Day for me. And then we both listened to Acid Rap together. And he was one of my f- 
favorite rappers through all of high school. So yeah, I, me too. I have that same point of nostalgia for him. It's really, really so good. Another, like a, a fun pick would have been, I think, and I think you could even argue it could fit in as like Sunday candy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Yeah. I, I mean, I still feel like the song is just a bit more Christmassy. Cause oh, like, I agree. It is a Christmas song, but yeah, no, that song could also fit into a Christmas format or one could argue could be a Christmas song just because it's like about church and family mm-hmm. um, yeah, and is also a great song. Um, Wonderful Christmas time is the worst Christmas song ever written. It is the worst Christmas song <laughs> ever written. Why that bug decided uh, he's a beetle any other day, but when it comes to Christmas, he's a bug. bug. Why that bug decided to make a robotic fucking Christmas. No one asked I, him. I hate that song so much. I hate that song so much. Oh, I'm so sorry, Paul. Like, we love you. You're a legend and yeah. everything. But dear God, sorry. And like, it's like, oh my God. it's like one of his most listened to songs. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> People really ignore all kinds of like moral inf- infractions when it comes to like Christmas time, like people will ignore the worst parts of human society. One of which is wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney mm-hmm. during the holiday times, just because it's the holiday times. And I'm like, just cause it's the holiday times doesn't mean we have to like forget our morals. You yeah. know what I mean? It's Ugh, absolutely horrendous, the worst. but the worst. So in classic off the list fashion, I was just chatting with Nadira about an artist when she was like, Oh, I haven't listened to that. And I was like, Oh shit. Well, we have to do this now. We have to. And it's the downward spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, one of the most important albums, like in the entire American. Like Nine Inch Nails are so critical yeah, to everything. Like, listen, Trent man, Trent Reznor. I, I can hear you yeah. already. I'm very very familiar with Trent Reznor and his work, and especially his work with other people. But have I listened to this album in full or any Nine Inch Nails album in full? No. So don't give me that look. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not dumb. I'm not dumb. Don't groan. I, I, I'm aware, but... But just like Kate Bush, we're going to get there. Yeah. All things need to be righted, and that will be righted. It's, it's hard to come up with a film that could match Nine Inch Nails, I think, especially when one person maybe forgot to come up with a film that could match Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> so I'm just going to suggest a film that I have been waiting. It is Holy Motors. It is... Ah. A French film, and I forbid you from looking up anything about this film. Yeah, it is I don't know anything about it. Absolutely best when going in blind, and it is a film that when we reconvene, you will turn to me, and the first thing you will say is, "What the fuck did I just watch?" Mm. And it will be so worth it. It will be so worth it. I can't wait to talk about this movie, but I also don't want to give a single detail away because like, it is truly one of the best surprises I've ever been surprised with in my life. So your movie is Holy Motors and that will be our first start to the new year. It's so exciting. And now we can say bye everyone. <laughs> oh my God. It's been so long. Please. We're like gasping for air. Yeah. Um. So bye. Happy holidays. Um. Just, for the record, this was an hour and a half of recording. So if what you're listening to is like 50 minutes, just know that we, we tried. We tried. Our we best. lost that battle. <laughs> we lost that battle. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye. Off the list is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes.